Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 24th of December, 2017. Machiavelli gives a good idea of how rulers and governments think and how they perceive their real role as opposed to how they they give the public a perception of what the real role is supposed to be. And it's quite interesting, isn't it? You, you, you heard all the talk about uh, draining the swamp in the U.S., for instance. Lifers and, and intergenerational lifers, you might say, politicians or, or bureaucrats. So many bureaucrats all governments have. They're there, remember, for a whole career till they retire. And they go in rather early too, and they're generally intra-family. Their, their families get them into the jobs. And governments like to hire people from within families because they're, they're well vetted, etc. And there are so many of them, lifelong bureaucrats in the federal government and in your state, state governments and candidates and provincial governments too. And they tend to intermarry each other as well. It's another, another thing I've noticed. If tremendous wages, tremendous wages. And governance, as I like to call it today, is almost farmed out, you might say, to private businesses, corporations uh, that, that work on behalf of government, you know, with their employed agencies. And bureaucrats, too, have a lot to do internationally with the counterparts in other countries' bureaucracies. H.G. Wells spelled it all out after the League of Nations was formed. And he said no longer do the people have to wait for politicians to listen to them to get things done across the world. Because Wells wanted this united global government system. And he was one of many, of course, who worked for the, the London system, they called it at the time. And... He said that now the bureaucrats in different sections of government could literally contact the, the, and deal directly, bypass the politicians altogether, and deal directly with their counterparts in the other countries. And he, he saw this as the embryo of world government. Today they call it governance, as I say. And they have all the other players involved too today, private non-governmental organizations that you don't vote for. Most folk don't even know who they are, who they, that they even exist, in fact, because their mainstream media won't, won't talk about them. But they're there. There's thousands of these NGOs, all privately owned by uh, foundations. Uh, a lot of their funding comes from taxpayers, who don't know that either, and the foundations too. So therefore, government today is vastly different, more complex than what it used to be. And it's underway constantly your whole life long to expand this intermingling for the global governmental system. But again, nothing really changed. It doesn't matter how big it is. It's the idea of government, which is important to me, and why they exist in the first place when you think about it. Now, we know <laughs> that uh, human nature isn't that much different in a, in a sense from the monkeys, as I mentioned I think, last week. Because monkeys themselves are very devious, and they're always watching each other and trying to get one up on each other, too, for supremacy or for special favors or better food or something, or dominance over others. 
Human nature is just the same, unfortunately. And when you look at how, what government, just stand back. Forget, forget all your indoctrination, your training, and even your allegiance, and just stand back and look at it all. And it really hasn't changed, as I say, from the days of before and during and after Machiavelli. Governments still put out such a lot of fake nonsense for the public to believe in. doesn't matter what country it is. And very often, especially today, it's more obvious, actually, if you're across Europe and different countries, it's very obvious that your own countries have, are working with some kind of united policy to literally eradicate the populations of those countries and, and change the whole system, regardless of the fallout. As I've mentioned before, Rockefeller talked about this back in the 70s and 80s. The coming system of mass migration, he said. They didn't say at the time why it would happen, but of course he obviously knew. And the chaos it would cause, but they would, this would be necessary to create a new, a new world order, a new system across the whole planet of the borderless society. And here we are. And I actually talk about this quite openly in the CFR amongst themselves and their own table societies and so on. You're only a nation again when they want you to go off and fight for some oil fields or whatever else they're after in some other countries for the private corporations. That's the only time you go back to being a nation again. I can remember talking about it, in fact, before the U.S. invaded Afghanistan and Iraq. And I talked about it. I said, you know, that all we'd heard for, for years was the fact that we're global this and global that and globalization, global, global. You never heard the word nation getting used. But suddenly after 9-11, right back to square one again, now you're important again, you're a nation, because they want you to go off and fight and, and get the oil fields and so on. It came out at the time afterwards, actually a few years afterwards from Britain, that they, Tony Blair had discussed the rewards they would reap if with the big corporations, all corporations, uh, they would divvy up different oil fields and so on in agreement with the U.S. So it was all planned beforehand and, and all that kind of stuff. So really, armies are used for private conquest for corporations. But they also have this other perception, and a lot of it is perception, to do with purpose of your nation. The public always think, because we, again, getting back to what government is, how, you, how you're taught to perceive it, it's, it's like a big brother system, a paternal thing. Our big sister doesn't matter. And royalty, in fact, were often called the, the, the father and, and the mother of the country, who were happened to be king and queen. That, that kind of gets transferred into the same system, in a sense, with, uh, with, in politics, more evident in the U.S., where presidents and the first ladies are, are treated really like royalty, where in Britain they're not, and there's a lot more derision in Britain with politics, because folk have been so jaded with hundreds of years of corruption, mismanagement, and starvation through, through wars and rationing and all the rest of it. So they don't have much faith in, in politicians at all which is the way it should be. 
politicians or something you should be awfully, awfully wary of. Awfully, all it. And let's be honest, come on. I've gotten, I've done talks about the psychopathic personality. The hysterical psychopath, for instance, is, uh, politicians are labelled, uh, are lumped in with the hysterical attention-seeking psychopath. They do like the applause of the public, but they also love the power that they feel, too, over people. And so they're, they're lumped in with the same type of psychopath that can't stay off the screen, no matter how old they get in Hollywood. They've got to keep coming out and getting out and use any excuse to get their name mentioned. And that's, that's also hysterical attention-seeking psychopath. So politicians will say whatever they're told to say that gets them the power, the award, and the applause. But those behind the scenes happen to have a different agenda and they're a different group altogether. They use nations as I've said before, like private businesses, amongst themselves very openly. And it's not new, it's not a new idea. You go way, way back into all the revolutionary phases that came out of the 1700s and the 1800s, all different factions of, of revolution. And all the different revolutions went back to the Enlightenment but they, they splintered off into different, different facets. Some came into the idea of Communism. Others went into, again, collectivism, very similar to communism, essentially. And the other ones went into the idea of ruling people. The right people should rule over different sections of society, like a feudal system. And they would create factory towns and factory areas. And all the people in the factories and factory areas and all the housing would be under the rulership of a kind of factor, as they called them. And so you had the utopian movements as well to do with this. All came out of materialism, remember. At the same era, the communists were preaching a so-called collective ownership of everything, whereas the other group were, were, were really saying that it would never work. You need someone, strong, intelligent person in charge who will be the, the fisher king, you might say, who, who knew what he was doing. Ford was one of them, in a sense. If you read about Ford, it's awfully interesting to know that he, he knew almost every employee by name. And people who didn't turn up for work, he would, he would personally go to their houses to see what happened, to see if there was a problem in the home. And if it was a domestic problem, he would try and sort it out and so on. Well, that goes right back to that old idea. You find it, too, in the Owen societies uh, that they tried to, to set up in, in the U.S., and elsewhere too. So different factions came out of it all, but the idea of this private ownership blossomed from just the the Fisher King, benevolent kind of uh, local dictator type idea into corporate ownership. Corporations would rule. And that's where Carl Quigley and the, the group behind him at the time in the Council on Foreign Relations, they were all working towards having corporations taking a place in what they call governance, governing the world. And they still do it today. As I say, the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, and the British branch of it, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, drafted up all the free trade agreements for countries to sign. They, they came out and openly admitted in 2005. 
they drafted up the charter for the United for the United Europe. And every top politician, all the commissioners in the EU Parliament are members of not just the Royal Institute for International Affairs, but the branch they create just to run the government of Europe, which is the European Institute for International Affairs. Just a branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, CFR. And, of course, the one for North America, too, which is still going on with today. For those who don't quite know it. And that's why they do have these, at least they're having talks about uh, divvying up trade and trying to iron that out too. But don't forget too that the free trade that they brought in for China, and they planned as far back as the 1930s, for China to take over manufacturing. And other countries too, now you have India and other countries in too. If you notice, if, if anything sent from China, in, in the small packages of, of things for electronics, whatever it happens to be, very cheap. To order them is very cheap. Because it's, because it's very cheap labor over there. And cheap material, by the way. I mean, China's got incredible deals across the world for cheap, cheap, cheap materials. Look at the postage on it. 25 cents, 50 cents. To send something from China to you, to your door. I can't send a letter to my neighbor for that within the country. Because, you see, we're paying for all the, the, the postage from China into the, into the country, Canada. That's part of the deal with free trade. And when you look into all the different countries that we're paying, we're paying them to come in. They, there's no taxation on the products as they bring them in. And we're paying for their postage so they can get it, so they get maximum profit on everything at the expense of your own countries, then you realize, wait a minute, you don't really have a country as you, if you've been taught to perceive it. If you had a country, you would still have manufacturing of these things in your own country. And the big excuse will give you in the CFR is, oh, you can't compete with China. Well, the thing is, you can't compete with China, even when it comes to postage, because we are paying for China's importation of goods into our countries under the free trade deal. And India and other countries now too. If you look at the special postage numbers that come in from China, look them up on the internet, it tells you right there. Special postage, blah, 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 the number so-and-so. And it's free trade, but you're paying for all. Our countries are paying for all. So each person who's ordering things privately from China is putting the burden for the cost of it all on the taxpayers. All worked out behind the scenes, quietly, when they told you it was a win-win situation. And it is a win-win situation for free trade because the corporations that had already planned to go over in China and set up and manufacture their stuff for peanuts uh, are raking it in like never before. That's free trade. Free trade is also a system of blocking trade. They decide at the top who's going to get free trade and who isn't. And who can trade for free? <laughs> Pretty well. In fact, who'll get paid to trade? <laughs> and it won't be you. And then you have the international corporations having their meetings all the time. As I say, IBM is very important. And look at all the different corporations that attend. It gives you an idea with all their visions of the future, etc., etc. But they also have think their own think tanks. They have bureaucracies and everything in these private corporations. 
and they work up uh, the whole agendas and drafts and so on, get their lawyers to draft up things presented to your governments, just like the NGOs do on behalf of the foundations, and have your governments enforce it into law. You aren't getting freer by any means. Don't ever think we're getting freer. We're becoming more and more enmeshed into this this totalitarian system where private corporations decide what kind of health care you're going to get. That or It's already here. Canada's a big one for that. I've got articles here, in fact, about it, and I can read some in the past before too, where the corporations decide what kind of medications they're going to give the public under their health care systems. And it's always down to the lowest common denominator, the cheapest, in other words. And it's not, perhaps not the best at all that's available for your health and so on. So many things are done like that. As I've mentioned before in different talks, if your government had been lobbied by a manufacturer that made garden shovels or spades, so that the government would say, well, you could, you, that's the only one we're going to license and allow you to buy in Canada. There might be an outcry. I don't know about Canada. Canada's so full of passive, but you, elsewhere in the States you'd get, you'd get an outcry. So you'd, come on. But uh, it's not far from, from that. It's not far from that kind of idea I'm talking about. It sounds preposterous, but it's actually getting pushed all the time. And folk have no idea of how many things are getting pushed in the public at the same time. How do you think the whole electric car idea came from? Where, where did it come from? And the corporations are going to make fortunes, and are making fortunes, because they're all getting paid by the taxpayer to set up corporate, their factories for massive coils and induction coils and all the rest of it and all the things that need... It took years of lobbying. Now, lobbying to me is a misnomer. Come on. Do you really think it's just people saying to politicians, oh, please, could you use our our products? Thank you very much. Do you really think that's what it is? You look at how much money lobbyists throw at the politicians' election time. They're getting bought off before they're even in. And that's the kind of corruption the government really, unfortunately, is riddled with. And it's not new. It's an old, old thing that's always happened. Old idea. Benjamin just really talked about it in his day in Britain. Same idea. That every politician at that time in Parliament, a different kind of Parliament, mind you, often the modern type, but, but he said that each one was bought and paid for by some financial power behind them. And nothing really changes because you can't get into politics any other way. You'll have their token ones for, for different ethnic groups or gender this or quality or blah, blah, and, or feminists. Yeah, they have those ones. But I'm talking about the money ones, the ones who, who, who are put in there who are always promoting various kinds of industries or particular types of industries and so on and so on and so on and so on. Therefore, if you really went through government, it'd be, it'd be astonishing, actually, to find out how many citizens actually get access to their politicians in a year compared to the, to the lobbyists that get access to them in a year. I've read articles before about the European Union, and it's, it's got such an awful, awful stink at it, actually because the parliament there has got thousands of, of full-time lobbying groups like corporations around the parliament building, thousands of them. That's all they do, is listen to lobbyists. 
and lobbyists can give, give contracts out for uh, it's big, big trillions worth of bucks actually when you look at it because you've got all the European countries now run centrally, like Mark said, run them all centrally and they got total power and and you got total power to the purse, a central bank for for the all the countries and central tax money coming in too. And that they can get thrown to a corporations and all the start-up corporations too. And by start-up corporations, it's not people going up there with no money at all. It's ones who've got enough money to, to lobby to start with to get the start-up money that's then given by the taxpayer, via the politicians, to the start-up company. That's how things really are. So the swamp really is uh, it's like, it's like a primordial world, isn't it? It's not just draining the swamp in one place like the U.S., and their capital, it's across the whole planet. And it gets back again to this power idea, power, 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 and how it's always dressed up to look, appear as something different, like a, a paternal, the king, queen, the father, mother of the nation, and that kind of idea, we're, we're here to serve you. What a joke. What a joke. Come on. Look at the salaries they give themselves. I've watched my whole life long in times of, I don't give it the recessions. To me, it's, it's depressions and financial depressions. And, and they give themselves massive pay increases. And so. But they're psychopaths. What do you expect? What do you expect? I really think that caring for people is a rare thing. You can get lots of folk to go and do caring for people if they get paid well enough for it. But actual, really just natural caring for people is a rare thing. It really is. Most folk are selfish. And when they go into careers, like into politics, they're incredibly selfish. They want that, and they want power too. Sell power, they want applause, they want to get their name announced and so on. So they have tremendous egos. These aren't the kind of people who care about people, other people. It just doesn't jive. It doesn't happen that way. So I'm not complaining. I'm, that's just the way it is. That's the way it is. But at least you know the game and you don't have to be fooled by it. You really don't. But as I say, Machiavelli was, was rather honest, giving his kind of resume out to kings and so on. This is how you run and here's how you, the public should never be told the real truth about anything. Francis Bacon said the same kind of stuff. Because they did, they gave resumes to kings. And that was the idea, that people were so fickle that you could never have uniformity amongst them. for, And it's true enough. If you ask ten people what they need most, just pretend you were in a, some sort of situation where you're all living in the close proximity and like, like neighbours or whatever, and you say, what do you really need the most here? Yeah, you'd, you'd have them fighting among each other before half an hour was passed. That's a problem with, with, with humanity. The only time we can... We can go under real authority, practical authority, as in real crisis situations, where folks stop their petty bickering for survival's sake, and they, they have a leader who hopefully uh, is temporary, but he'll get you through, he or she will get you through the crisis situation. That's the only time they seem to get on. Even then they're ready to kill each other sometimes, but they'll try and get on. But in peacetime situations, 
it's uh, mad, you see. It's not new. It's not a new idea. I thought, although I think people are crazier than they've been for an awful long time, because they're not living in a natural system anymore. We're so far removed from what was for thousands of years. At least the man, the woman, and the children situation, the family unit, we're so far removed from it now, it's getting crazier and crazier. And people are getting crazier because they're not fulfilling an actual function that whether liked it or not, I mean, it's no matter if you're liking it or not, it, it, it just happened. And folk put up with it and says, oh, well, you get on with it. But today, they have the choice is not to have children and not to get married. Or if you get married, you can have many divorces and things too, until you realize that, that really there's no point in getting married anymore if you're not going to have children. Really. Because that's what it was for. It was so you didn't need a welfare state. There wasn't a welfare state, remember, for thousands of years. And so those who wanted the children and had the, had the offspring took responsibility for it. They had to support them. And that's what, so it took a family to do so. I think. But the state taking over with socialism has altered all of that now too. All of it. Therefore, people aren't experiencing something which, as I say, would often be thrust upon them. Your drives are there. People get married. They have children in no time at all. And they got on with it, especially when they were fairly young, because they were fit and healthy, and they just got on with it. But that's been broken now. That cycle has been broken. And I think there's consequences to there's, there's mental consequences, psychic consequences for for that massive change taking place. There's definitely societal changes too, because you're living now in a post-religious society, even faintly religious, I'd say. You still have the cultural religious people who who suddenly are born into it, so it's like a club thing. But definitely the idea of belief is kind of vanishing from people. And science, of course, was meant to replace religion. And lots of its, its uh, publications in the 1800s especially, they were very open about that, even before that in the 1700s. But from the 1800s onwards, they were rather open about that, how they would eventually, scientists would be the new priests that would help rule the world on behalf of the of those who own the world, and they do believe that financial ownership really connotes ownership of the world, legitimate ownership, and that hasn't changed. And it all ties in with eugenics, of course, and and evolution, and that's that's their whole religion. It's interesting to watch them ditch one religion for another. Is this that never changes to an extent? Is it? It really goes on and on. Marxism was the same, another religion. Years ago, and, and even back in, 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 in biblical times too, you had people sacrificing uh, in other various, various countries across the Middle East, in the Levant areas, sacrificing thousands of years ago animals and, and children too. We know that. To appease gods that weren't too, you know, too happy characters, they were rather nasty characters for bad harvests. Uh, or for, because they'd get drought occasionally too, just like today. They had climate change, you always have climate change. You have 10, 20, 30 years sometimes of more droughts than anything. And other years, there's more, more rain and even flooding. That's normal. But today, you'll notice as they become more atheistic, 
they don't want you just to sacrifice your children. You're already doing that to save the world. You know, you're not having children. And so they're aborted and so on. I don't mean to be facetious about it. I'm just saying this is what is happening. And the high priests of this system, this, this materialistic earthly system, the scientific system, I've been at work for this for a long time to, to bring down the populations by, I know they're given children or youngsters in some countries, actual children, yeah, the, the abortion pill, the morning after pill and so on, they call it. But they don't want you to have children. And it's all to save the world. And each, each person that doesn't get born, they say, they've got it all worked out in their, in their university because this, that's, these are the hotbeds of where, where they, they, they breed, basically, fanatics for their cause, for their religion. And they, they turn out screeds and screeds of stuff to get their names mentioned and to get their thesis through and so on about all oh, the causes. Well, if we can do this, we can save it. And they love, they love charts and percentages and all the rest of it. All this subjective stuff they just pluck out there. And it sounds very impressive if you're an idiot. But they tell you that each person consumes X amount in their lifetime and they'll need X amount of, of uh, material goods and so on and so much energy will go to keep them alive and all blah, 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 blah. And so much food production and so much CO2, yada, 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 that it's good if they start dying off. So what you're seeing is, is you get, they cut out religion. They're in a religion. And their religion, the scientific religion, demands under the guise, this guise of science, that to appease nature, which is climate change and all that, back and forth of the weather, to appease it all and to save us all, this fearful thing, just like the fearful gods of old, then you must pay carbon taxes and stop driving cars and live in austerity and depopulate. To understand, it's a religion. It's the same religion on our different guys. And it's called scientific. So don't look for logic. Don't look for logic. And the mass of nonsense you hear on a daily basis, and I mean mass, most of it is absolute trash, that which they call news today. Most of it is simply fillers. The papers in Britain, for instance, it's mainly photographs of this, that, and ooh, and that, and little clips of videos uh, of silly things to, to try to keep you, 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 your attention and rapt attention all day long watching trash. And it's rubbish. You, you learn nothing, but you wasted your day. And that's a substitute for news now. And it's terrible. Other ones, too, the more, the more intellectual ones, especially in the States, are the same old rehashed party line stuff and pretense of bashing another group and so on. And they all do it. They all do it. It's a big, big game. Because real government is not what you think it is. It isn't what you think it is. And the real government doesn't sleep. It has its plan set out years ago like a big business plan, because that's what it really is, is a big business plan. When they'll start this and when they'll start that, and, and they, they can stall things for a while here and there, you know, because they've got all the time in the world to accomplish what they want eventually. But they, they'll, they'll get things done for themselves. The public will just see the, the, the fallout from it all, be given very simplistic propaganda reasons why things are happening or why there's, there's more wars happening. It's always simplistic propaganda for the public. If they give you a detailed 
reason of why it's happening. You could probably pick holes in it so they keep it simple. Where, where you have to ask questions to try, to try and create the holes. Because they're not going to tell you much at all. Here's a bad folk, they're bad, and we have to fight them. And that's good enough for most folk. Now the elite within one country, well, it's true enough, they'll use that nation like a business, and the military as a business, to get what they want for themselves. For the public, it'll be a different reason they're given to go off and fight it, but the elite themselves will always benefit. And the elite will look at their, their neighboring countries and the elites in, in their countries, and they're all in competition with it. So there's one group of elites amongst another group of elites, and so on, across the whole planet. All countries are the same. But however you look at war, you have to always ask the simple question, who benefits? And often today, you may be fighting wars for other countries and paying for all too, just that you're paying for, for importing goods from abroad. Everybody, all your people in your country are paying uh, the postage and bringing it all in. But it's never portrayed to the public the way it actually is. That's how, that's how governance works. And government does try to make you think that that special brains run everything, really fantastic minds. Uh, so they can't explain any further than that because they've got to leave it in mystique. Otherwise, you realize they're just the same as you. But that's how it is. And getting back to society in itself, that's now going through massive changes because thousands of years, maybe millions of years, Millions of years has, ch- has changed everything suddenly with contraception, abortion, easy sex, non bonding sexual encounters where the bonding has been cut loose from, from the sexual act itself. An- another thing that Marx and others wanted to happen to destroy the family unit. It's all happened. And then you look literally at places like Britain. At least, at least through their trash newspapers, show you photograph after photograph, or even little videos if you get the speed. For us, another thing too is they're they're really moving ahead with uh, cutting the speeds of certain peoples and the rural people too, on internet to force them into the cities under Agenda Twenty One. It's all part. Of it. Everything works together, doesn't it? Take the cars away, take away the internet speed, and so, on, and gradually you used to get them all into the cities. But you look at these photographs and these papers in Britain, and they just love showing you all with their selfies and all that stuff. And there's all these these women and guys just falling all over themselves in an incredible drunken binge that's never been seen before. I don't know if they mix it with drugs now, too. Maybe that's normal. I just don't know. But you see them all over wearing hardly anything at all. This is wintertime. And they're all out for sex and getting absolutely plastered. And they're falling all over the streets and so on. And, and this, this is normal now. This is normal behavior. Because society is broken. It's broken. And the people you're seeing falling all over the place, they, they don't see purpose anymore. If they had purpose, they wouldn't be in the streets falling all over themselves. And just looking for sex everywhere. They would have a mate and they would have children. Because that's how, that's how it was. Up until not long ago. In my lifetime. <laughs> and look how fast it's changed. So everything's been pretty well broken. 
And therefore, along with that goes purpose too, doesn't it? We know, for instance, that, that life, the ages of people, uh, their lifespan is, is dropping again. And with women too, uh, not all, all over the place, but in, in, in most areas. And it was always understood when you took psychology and sociology and so on, uh, that women live longer because they've got a natural interest in their own offspring and the, the, the children of their offspring, so their grandchildren. And therefore, when the guy retires, his job's over, his life is often over, because often men used to see themselves as, as whatever job they did. When they retired, all their friends were gone. It's, it's things, it, it does happen that way. Even their ex-workmates won't, won't visit them anymore. It's a strange thing that happens. When, when they're in the workforce, they think that everybody's going to come and see them, and they'll go and see them, but they don't want to know you anymore. Because in reality, in normal real life, you don't have more than two or three friends. You have these forced friendships only for work only, and that's, that's how it really is. But with women, they have a natural instinct, and again, really natural, because they're, they're watching their offspring go off, and they want success again, and they want those children to be married too, and have children, children, children. And that's how you live through. They live through their children. They take great, great delight in that, and great interest in doing that. And all of them, of course, there's a lot of bad ones out there too, but, but I'm talking about general, uh, generally speaking. So that's, that's all been broken as well. And we haven't seen the end of it yet. Lots of studies have been done to see where it's all going, but not for publication for the general public. Now, as science keeps stretching and stretching itself to its, its full height and takes over its, its role to supplant the old religions, it becomes very, it's because it's materialistic, remember, very earthly, it, it stops seeing people as special. Julian Huxley talked about it, uh, UNESCO, he said, we must knock humanity off its pedestal as being the supreme being on the planet. In other words, cheapen life to convince the public to go along with mass abortions. And not only that, they, they did believe, believe it or not, Hitler didn't come along with the idea of this racial hygiene and so on and kill off the unfit, as he saw them, those in the hospitals and, and uh, mental, mental retardation or, whatever, or, or, or even birth problems. And, and they killed them off. It came from Britain, ideas, and they, they printed that in, in the Germany, that they got these ideas from the Eugenic Society in Britain. The Darwin Society still runs the eugenics uh, website, yeah. So don't forget that as the science keeps uh, throwing out its documentaries are meant to condition you to accept your own demise step by step, and right down to why they shouldn't treat you, actually, if you're getting older, and they'll, they'll keep dropping the age too, or bumping you off. But at the moment, they're still looking with the older folk around retirement age. It'd be too expensive to keep them going, even though they paid their, most of their money in taxes for all their life long. That doesn't matter. They don't have a function society anymore and their socialism, so let's just bump them off. That, that's, they're convincing you that, that, to go quietly. They can convince you to do anything, to do it properly. Bernays knew that. <laughs> and here we are, we're going through it today. And science hasn't finished. Hasn't finished. They'll have 
<laughs> even you know, there's nothing you watch that 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 science fiction or any kind of fiction that that isn't loaded from the sixties onwards with all these different ideas to get youngsters ready for what they're going to face when they're when they're old. They had all that in the Star Trek series, the original Star Trek series, where Kirk is transported over to a, a ship, a parallel ship that seems to be the Enterprise. Nobody on it until he meets a woman. Then eventually he finds out that she's sent by her people from an overcrowded planet who, who are immortal. They can't die. They've, they've conquered all disease to give them a new disease to start killing them off because that's what they want. They want to be killed off. And at the end, you say, oh, well, I guess they had to, you know, they're all crowded together like that, you know. They can convince you of anything, can't they? Simple, isn't it, with emotions and withholding other aspects of the argument. But it's all out and open today, and uh, scientists now are becoming incredibly arrogant, along with different politicians and the so-called experts they put forward to, to brainwash the public. That you, you really should start considering just... Hitting a certain, even planning for it, you know, years in advance when you want to get bumped off. And that will come in your lifetime. You're going to see this if it's not here already. For instance, when the scientists decided to, to really tamper with, with humans again, they did it before World War II with, uh, with lobotomies, nicotomies, and so on in the brain. And uh, they're even treating soldiers coming back from World War II with post-traumatic stress syndrome, with this pseudoscientific n- nonsense that they could actually do a, a, a pre-orbital uh, lacotomy, basically. Uh, I'll put the spike just over the eyeball and behind and, and just cut a few things in the brain, and that would, that would cure it all. Uh, absolute rubbish. This is what they did. It's astonishing what they get away with. Under the guise of science, but again, it's a snake oil guy who would who'd sell you that bottle of rubbish, give you a lot of fancy names for it, and and, uh, and away you go. And we've all seen the Manchurian Candidate and the different follow-up type of movies from it too. People have seen the Sleep Room, it was by CBC years ago, on uh, the brainwashing cases that they had in Canada. Uh, that was basically based upon where the idea came from. And uh, it says here that the present Trudeau government in Canada has put a gag order on all the old cases that are probably up for renewal and so on. And it says they put a gag order in the CIA brainwashing case and it's silencing victims, a lawyer says. It's interesting too, I remember it was Pierre Trudeau's, this, this present Trudeau's, Justin Trudeau's dad, Pierre Trudeau, who was communist back in the 50s. And when he uh, became prime minister and so on, the last thing he did, the last time of the day he was in office, apparently it was in the papers at the time, was to reclassify a lot of diff- different things that were classified, not for you know, under the Official Secrets Act. But one of them was uh, to do with a, a, a case that came out in World War II where, I think it was Gozenko affair, he was a Russian uh, defector, the first one who came over with the names of stacks of, of uh, not just politicians, but lots of bureaucrats who were in the government in Canada and in the States. He was the first defector. And, and uh, <laughs> it caused a, a crisis at the time because we're still supposed to parley with the Great Bear. 
and uh, at the end of World War Two. But uh, he had a list of all the, the politicians and stacks and stacks and so many dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds actually, of bureaucrats in the Canadian federal government that were communist members. And Pierre Trudeau reclassified them all as secret again for another 50 years or something, and so we'll never find out who they were. <laughs> it doesn't really matter now, anyway, does it? Now they've turned the public into a form of pseudo communistic collectivist society, and they haven't finished with it yet. But anyway, Justin Trudeau put a gag order in the CIA brainwashing case. And it's at silence and victims, daughter of survival of brutal experiments, nervous to speak out after non-disclosure demand, it says. Forty years after the revelations, the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency funded brainwashing experiments on unsuspecting Canadians. That was by Dr. Ewan Cameron in Montreal. It says the Trudeau government is continuing a pattern of silencing the victims, a lawyer of one of the families says. The Department of Justice gag order in an out-of-court settlement was designed to avoid responsibility and avert compensation to more victims and their families, said Alan Stein, who's represented numerous survivors who were once patients of the Allen Memorial Institute, Montreal. Told news that successive federal governments have demanded confidentiality agreements in at least five of the cases he had settled in the last few decades. If they hadn't been confidential, and the settlements had the, the publicity that they should have had, a lot of the victims would have come forward and gone to court, he said. It's uh, never-ending, isn't it? This is, these, so these are your governments that knew what was happening, and the government departments gave the CIA you know, permission and, and gave Montreal to go ahead, you know, uh, the Allen Memorial Hospital, to lobotomize these people, to... To put them on massive LS, doses of LSD daily for months and months and months and daily electroconvulsive therapy as well to try to repattern their brains, as said, give them new personalities. And some of them haven't, couldn't even remember what happened at all, the life at all before it all happened. To relearn things, even, even simple things, under the guise of science and with the blessing of your government. So for people who trust government, uh, good luck to you. You'll, you'll, need, you'll need luck, an awful lot of luck. You definitely will. It doesn't stop. It never stops. No matter all the experiments I've done with, uh, <laughs> I better even say some of the things. It's not illegal even. In, in, in some of the countries, it's now illegal to mention some of the things now. The U.S. still has some ability of free speech, but they're really coming down big on it. Uh, and God knows where it'll end up shortly uh, if they'll keep the free speech or or particular types of free speech or 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 censored uh, big chunks cut out of it or whatever. But unless you have total free speech, you you you, you got none at all. That, that's the reality of it. And you take the bad with the good with free speech. It's the way it is. And if you really get upset and offended about things, you don't listen. It's that simple. But uh, hey. At least you can talk back about it and talk out about it and counter it. <laughs> That's what free speech is about. Or ignore it. Now, another article too. Inside Bell, this is Bell Canada for telephone and, and uh, they even have um, some ends to do with net neutrality, it says. 
Bell's push to end net neutrality in Canada. Documents obtained by Canada Land that says reveal a plan to create a not-for-profit corporation. Some of the one they put in the States, by the way. Responsible for maintaining a blacklist of alleged pirate sites. But you know what be like the States, too, is to say who's going to be real news and who's going to be classified as fake news or bad. It's total censorship. That's where it will go. Whoever they put on the books always has a different agenda. And it expands rather quickly once it's passed. You know that. So I'll put this article up to Inside Bell's Push to End Net Neutrality in Canada. Another one, too, it says, Why Canada firmly supports net neutrality, but it may not matter anyway, it says. And it says, since the, it may not matter because the U.S. is preparing to rescind, and it did, of course, it rescinded the Internet's common carrier status down south as well. Another thing in the news, too, is to do with the U.S. sanctioning 52 people for abuses related to Global Magnitsky Act. Anyway, that was uh, uh, named after a fellow who was persecuted for uncovering some corruption in his own country. And it says, the list revealed November 21st include the, the eldest daughter of the late Uzbek President Islam Karamov, son of Russian Prosecutor General Yuri Cheko a Ukrainian and a riot police commander and a Burmese army general and others. It wouldn't be so bad if it went across the whole planet. But again, what a job that would be, eh? I mean, all governments would have to shut down uh, rather than get totally uh, <laughs> exposed to what they're all about. All governments, really, I mean, have their... As I say, it isn't just a lobbyist uh, giving big, big payoffs to politicians but also give big payoffs to people in the military. In the States, they do it too, to people in the U.S., uh, big, big handouts there to, to, to get, to get ex-generals and so on to, to lobby the governments for them, things like that. That's corruption as far as I'm concerned. And be honest too, if you have a country, what, foreigners, outsiders, shouldn't have anything to do with uh, lobbying your governments anyway. Really? Really, and same with get, taking payoffs for when you're when you're running for election from other countries, and Canada does it too. There's articles in the, out there recently about that. Why should other countries be given money to politicians inside Canada to run? It makes a whole farce of having nations, doesn't it? And then the United States sanctions human rights abusers and corrupt actors. Across the globe Sounds great again But you wait to see what countries they'll target It might just be the ones that they, In their geopolitical strategy And of course they're targeting Russia right now And of course the, <laughs> They won't go into Britain And <laughs> places like that Or other countries in the Middle East for instance yeah. And then this one here To do with, with The complete Manufacturing, remanufacturing Of society its understanding of common sense, rationality, and its history too, where all must be destroyed to bring in the new. I've given talks about that before. And here's an article here that shows you how mad it's getting with the terminology and language police, of course, which all comes out of the universities again with real radical people being funded to push this stuff down students' throats and into into their brains, you might say. But civility, being civil and white institutional presence. It's an exploration of white students' understanding of race talk, it's called. And it's put out by two authors at universities, um, of the University of Northern Iowa, 
and Southern Illinois University, Carbondale is called. <laughs> it comes through Howard Journal of Communications. These are people who remember who work at universities who are paid to churn out their 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 their, their sick brain nonsense to to change society for until you don't be able to function or even communicate an idea to anyone. Exactly what George Orwell mentioned in nineteen eighty four. When the dictionary is that thin, you won't have the, the terminology left to express your, your problems and communicate it to others. Therefore, they'll be nice. You'll be nice and peaceful, and you can't have, you can't be seeking justice then when you're all peaceful and you can't express it anyway. You have no words to say it anyway. But civility in white institutional presence is an understanding of race talk, a traditionally white institution. And uh, I'll put these PDFs up for you to read and have a chuckle at too. But in this study, the authors draw upon critical whiteness studies. Critical, you've heard about the critical theories and so now it's critical uh, whiteness studies to explore how white students' understanding of race talk, race talk, within higher education reproduces whiteness. Through an analysis of interview data, they generate three categories described describing whiteness in form civility at WIC functions to create a good white identity. What on earth is a good white identity? WIC functions to erase racial identity and WIC functions to assert control of space. These thematic concepts show... How, you see, listen to the terminology here. It's like the gobbledygook that, that Freud initially came out with that no one can understand, even his followers, because it's nonsense. Since these thematic concepts show how WIC is characterized by logics of race evasion, avoidance of race talk, and it's, it's, it's meant to make you think that you've got specialists talking here with this gobbledygook. That's what's meant to make you think. And exclusion of people of color. The authors conclude by offering ways for instructors to interrogate WIC through classroom practices informed by critical communication pedagogy. So there, there you get this rubbish here, utter tripe. But basically, they're trying to say that civility in, in discussions and so on is a white, a white thing, and it's a problem. It's a white thing. Being civil is a white, terrible thing, like a deviancy. Right? Focus on how student classroom behavior, such as texting, sarcasm, eye-rolling, tardiness, and disruptive talking, detract from students' ability to learn and instructors' ability to teach. And then they go and quote Kleberg, uh, Golden Oates, and Mendes, Miller, and Kant. Yeah. For example, amazing amount of characters that make a great living writing this tripe, you know. For example, to address student uh, incivility, Miller, Kant, Brown, and Saivo offered that instructors should reduce negative self-disclosure and be non-verbally immediate. Oh, wow, well, you can all be non-verbally immediate, right? In short, past discussions have largely taken a functional a functionalist tone focusing attention on generalizable behaviors that students and instructors should not perform to maintain a maximally effective learning environment. You know something, they come out of these universities like they're mind-bombed. It's like they came out of what I was talking about earlier there, that CIA mind-bending program in Montreal. Uh, and, uh, and they know nothing, just like the same, same they know nothing after except this gobbledygook. No wonder they can't communicate this common sense to each other anymore. There you go. But I'll put this rubbish up for you to have a, a laugh at. 
but it claims white power forced on society through civility. Yeah, being civil is for, you're, it's actually forcing white. What nonsense is this? Eh? Uh. Well, I guess they can do away with all these these different um, negotiators that try to get, get peace amongst countries and stuff, because it's obviously white civility they're pushing. Ay, ay, what rubbish, eh? What rubbish. But universities now are dangerous places to put a child into. It's bad enough a school nowadays, but but the brainwashing they get, wow, wow, eh? Oh. And you wonder why they come home and they can't even talk. They're kind of, da, 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 ba, ba, da. <laughs> I see you got your degree, eh? So they in communication. Now, Saudi Arabia released a propaganda film showing an invasion of Iran. So it's a propaganda movie they made. I'll put it up there too. And uh, also Apple's iPhone. It shows you too that as a phone gets older, they actually have a a little app inside it that that slows it down, its ability to download stuff and so on. And it's usually put out was to save the battery. <laughs> but you know something? They play this game, not just Apple, but all the different ones play the game with your computers as the next model comes up with it. And we've watched it through all the different versions of computers too. Everybody's at it. Eh? But you won't find uh, the US government or any other government looking into that and tell them to, to, hey, cut it out. And then China gives Google and Facebook an ultimatum. It says uh, they have to accept China's censorship and tough online laws if they want to access its 751 million internet users, say Chinese regulators. I'll put that link up too for you to, to watch it. And also, the CIA has an article from 2006 on how they set up a department to collect all intelligence on bloggers. Internet blogs and content and all the rest of it. But who the bloggers were to? I remember reading it at the time on the air, in fact. And it's well underway. It's doing awfully well. Uh, but these even had all the different content uh, of all the years you've you been talking as to what you said, literally, <laughs> astutely, uh, marking it off for pluses and negatives and so on. And something else I mentioned too a few years ago is council hopes to become the first in Britain to liquefy dead bodies by dissolving them in alkaline and then flushing the remains down the drain. Well, that's science again, eh? See, science is fantastic. It's become more and more dehumanized. And after all, you're just a dead body anyway. And they're even going to have ones out there. They say that you could actually put in your back garden, just pour it in there and help uh, your granny or help the plants to grow. It's become more and more facetious. But don't don't forget that as we become more and more dehumanized and we laugh at all this stuff too, that when it's your turn to be flushed before your time is up, by the way, who are you going to argue with huh? when the big, big bosses of science are in control? Well, from myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, where it's really cold and you're getting all ready for Christmas time. I'm sure you're all tuckered out with all your buying and running around and all that crazy stuff. It's good night. May your God or your gods go with you.